Hello and welcome to Abscond with Ethan Renault. That's a hot mic. Hello and welcome to Abscond with Ethan Renault. Uh, this is, I don't know what episode. We've stopped keeping track of the episode numbers because um, I lost count. Uh, the truth is I can only count to about 30 and then beyond that I just get confused. Oh man, uh, this is the third part of the series I'm doing on videos. Uh, films specifically. Um, I guess it's kind of pretentious to call them films or instead of movies. Um, I like calling them films. Here's the thing. I like calling good films films where there's like an art to it. Um, whereas like summer blockbusters that are just purely for entertainment are like movies. So I don't know if that's accurate. That's how I think of it. So these are films um, in the pre, in the first one, I did the 2010s, the best 10 films of the 2010s. And then next I did the best 10 films of the 2000s of that decade. And now I'm basically doing the best 10 films of an entire century, <laughs> which, um, is 1990s and before, um, that's probably a bit unfair, but I'm a little biased since I was born in the nineties and I wasn't, um, I don't know. I just th I feel like film has come so far in the past couple decades that, um, yeah. And keep in mind, as I mentioned in all the other ones, these are not me saying these are the best films. I'm saying these are my favorite films of these decades. So um, these are my favorite top 10 films of the 1990s and before, mainly because I couldn't fill up just the 90s, so I had to pull in some of my favorite movies from before the 90s. So um, if any of you are listening to this and you're older than me and you're like, whoa, 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 there are so many great films. You got to do the 80s, 90s, whatever. Um, I'm not saying these are the best. I'm saying these are my favorites. So this is the third part of the series. Um, if you like these, somebody already messaged me saying um, he sent me his list, his top 10 list of I think he sent me the 2010s or the 2000s. I think he did the 2000s. His top 10 of the 2000s. Because um, it's a fun experiment to do. And I'd love to hear back from you guys. What are your favorite movies from these years? Um, should I do more movie-type reviews on this podcast? Because um, as you can probably tell, I love film. I love art um, of any kind and creativity and all these things. And so... Um, uh, I'm a big fan of doing stuff like this. And if you enjoy this, the discussion of them, um, if you want to go in deeper with like one or two certain films, um, for instance, the spirituality of the tree of life or uh, Logan or um, what are my other favorite movies that I think are Christian? Um, I just wrote that recently. What was the other one? Logan. Anyway, I can't remember. Um, but we, we, uh, if discussing film is something you love talking about, you want to hear more of it, let me know. Um, Facebook, Ethan Renault Official. Twitter and Instagram is just at Ethan Renault. Or you can always email me, Ethan at EthanRenault.com. I'd love to hear from you, hear your feedback on this series and anything else I ever produce because I want this to be more of a conversation or a dialogue than me just talking into the abyss. 
So without further ado, let's dive into my top 10 picks of uh, best 10 films of the 1990s and before. Starting at number 10, prob- actually, uh, we'll go before number 10. Uh, my honorable mentions, and this is going to be controversial, <laughs> uh, my top, my, my honorable mentions <clears throat> are all the Star Wars movies, all the Godfather movies, and all the Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> and I know that might be controversial, just throwing, lumping them all into uh, honorable mentions because they're like legendary culture shaping films, and they are, and they're great. They're just not my favorites. Um, so those are the honorable mentions. And so at number 10 um, is The Boys Next Door. And that phrase, I guess, has some kind of negative connotations because it might seem more like sexual or I don't, I don't know why that phrase became sexual. But this movie came out in 1996. And I think the reason I like it is it was one of those movies that um, probably in like later elementary school, maybe it's middle school years, we would watch every couple months. Like, you know, how you have those movies, often they're just obscure films that popped up and you're like, oh yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it's just, it, it was with me for a lot of my life in the early years. So it came out in 96. It's got some relatively big names in it. Nathan Lane, Tony Goldwyn, um, who's the guy who played Mr. Noodle on Sesame Street? He was bald, but uh, he died several years ago. Um, I can't remember his name. Oh, Jeter, something Jeter. Anyway, um, so this movie is hilarious. It it's about oh, I haven't seen it in a while though. To be honest, I think four mentally challenged guys, um, mentally handicapped um, adults, and these men live together in an apartment in a city. And Tony Goldwyn is like their caretaker. He checks in on them. He does life with them, takes them on adventures and activities. And it's really sweet and sad at the same time. And um, because Tony Goldwyn like loves the guys. You can see that he loves them. But they're also kind of um, tearing him away from his marriage. And there's um, and it was, a lot of this was stuff I didn't understand when I was younger watching it. But... The older I get looking back on it, it's like, yeah, I can see why these four guys and his caring for them may kind of interrupt his marriage in a way. Um, But uh, yeah, and it's really sweet. And at one point, Nathan Lane gets a girlfriend who's also mentally handicapped and they they have a date. And I can remember all the funny lines from this movie still because they're so quotable. But this movie was just entirely underground for some reason. Um, he invites her over to her house (laughs) and he lifts like one of those serving tray lids off of a plate (laughs) and it's just a bunch of donuts (laughs) because he works at a donut store and he says, would you please have a donut? (laughs) It's so great. And there's just uh, so many other lines that I always quote just because it's so like deeply embedded in my psyche. Like, um, I just won't start listing them off, but you should see it. If you can look it up somewhere. It may be online somewhere. The Boys Next Door. There was also another movie called The Boys Next Door, which isn't entirely different. Um, This one, just be careful which one you watch. 1996, The Boys Next Door. Moving on. Number nine. Uh, 1991's The Silence of the Lambs with um, 
Hannibal Lecter as the uh, cannibal. <laughs> it is um, haunting and legendary, and it is, uh, yeah, messed up, but not not to the point that it's too extreme, but just to the point that it's intense and culturally, um, I don't know, you know, like this is a character that's kind of existed in the background of culture ever since it came out. And he's this like creepy, psychotic, uh, legendary performance by, is it Anthony Hopkins? Is that who that is? I could be completely off. I think it's Anthony Hopkins. Um, his creepy voice and the way that he plays his character, um, it's just one of those legendary films. I can't say much more about it. It just is. Um, it made my number nine spot. And uh, yeah, it's 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 haunting in a way that kind of sticks with you. And I can see why it's become a cultural landmark that it has. Um, now on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, at number eight, 1989, When Harry Met Sally, with Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal... Um, this one is also just a classic. You cannot go wrong with When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> the little, uh, I think it's Rob Rayner who directed it, the little interjections of um, like the old married couples talking about how they met and it, um, just the way that this film kind of navigate, like it dances through the years, like it kind of skips a couple years at a time. Um, and it's just these two people kind of falling in love long term like a, a broad spectrum way to fall in love, I guess, um, with Harry and Sally and the way that they kind of dance around each other. And of course, Billy Crystal's uh, monologue at the end to persuade her to end up with him. <laughs> it's just a classic. It's hilarious. It still holds up. And uh, yeah, if you haven't seen when, when Harry Met Sally, it's just a feel-good movie um, through and through. Classic romantic comedy. You've Got Mail could also be up there, too. I didn't put that one in. That um, That's probably overshadowed by When Harry Met Sally, but You've Got Mail is also a classic from the 90s, also with Meg Ryan. And I love Tom Hanks, so can't go wrong there either. Um, number seven, the film that I showed the first day of teaching English last year when I was teaching middle school English, and then I realized that the entire movie went over their heads because they're middle schoolers. Um, also from 1989 was Dead Poet Society, the late great Robin Williams. Um, he is. What can you say about Robin Williams? He's the best. You know, he's the legend. Um, Dead Poet Society, phenomenal film. It's tragic, but it's also um, it, it stirs things inside of you. Like Robin Williams' line when he says, um, uh, "What is it? Engineering, construction, math." Um, you know, farming, these are the things that keep us alive, but poetry, this is what we stay alive for, something like that. Um, and then the carpe diem speech and everything, uh, it's just a classic. If you haven't seen the dead poet society, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> but, um, no, really, it's definitely worth a watch. It's still relevant today. Um, some people think it might be a little preachy or cheesy, or just kind of the tragic lives of entitled white boys. Um, I don't know. I still think it's a it's a classic and it holds up. And you should see Dead Poet Society. Number six, 
we have this might be surprising to some people. If you haven't seen it in a while, you should go watch it again because it still holds up. I can tell you that it is just as entertaining and fun and adventurous and action-packed as when it first came out. It's 1999's The Mummy. Um, 99 was a good year for film. Four of these movies on this list are from 99. From like from here down, there's four more. So like the top half is dominated by 99. Uh, the Mummy is so much fun. Brendan Fraser, one of my, f- probably my, actually, definitely my number one favorite British actress, Rachel Weisz. Uh, she is phenomenal. She's timeless. She's perfect. Um, she plays his, what do you want to say, damsel in distress <laughs> that he comes in and and she's along for the ride and they, they fall in love. And and the, the for, ni- for the 90s, the visuals of like the bugs crawling under people's skin and the mummies coming to life were really good. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of CGI getting worse the past couple years, but you watch a movie like the mummy and you're like, wow, like CGI was really good, uh, back in the day. And, um, why is it kind of regressing so that everybody looks like giant rubbery alien monsters, you know? But the like this was a point in cinema where the graphics were phenomenal. You're like, wow, if a mummy came back to life, that's exactly what it would look like. Um, it's creepy and terrifying and still holds up. And um, the humor in it has not gotten any worse. <laughs> it's, it's um, yeah, phenomenal movie. Like... When one of my friends recently was like, my favorite movie in the world is The Mummy. And I was like, really? And I watched it and I was like, okay, yeah, it still holds up. <laughs> it's actually really good. Um, watching it older, I think I, the last time I had seen it was in high school and then I rewatched it and I was like, dang, that's a great movie. <laughs> um, so anyway, The Mummy. Now we move into the latter half of the uh, 90s. Coming in at number five, M. Night Shyamalan's film that put him on the map was The Sixth Sense, also from 99. This is another cultural landmark with Haley Joel Osment saying, I see dead people. And Bruce Willis as the um, his mentor character. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil it for you, but this is one of those movies that the twist uh, has gone down in movie history I'm not Shyamalan is known for these big twists, but this is the one that really put him on the map. And uh, Bruce Willis also worked with him in Unbreakable, which came out before this. I think. Was it after? I'll have to look that up. Um, But The Sixth Sense is... um, Yeah, it's a classic. Like, (laughs) it's just one of those movies that you reference. You say, I see dead people. Everyone immediately knows what you're talking about. And it's creepy. It gave me nightmares when I was a little kid and I first saw it. And uh, yeah, it's just this eerie vibe without being overly graphic. Horror movies don't need to be incredibly gory to be scary. And uh, The Sixth Sense does that really well. Along with Shyamalan's kind of like um, humor that comes in and it's random. and um, but it, it lands, you know, the humor in his movies is good. And he, he does that good job of shifting between lighthearted, funny moments. And then the family drama of the boy and his mother and Bruce Willis and 
but then obviously the horror of seeing dead people. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. So The Sixth Sense, number five. Um, number four, going back to 1994, some people were surprised this made it on the list, but um, if you if you know, you know. And if you don't know, you don't know. But number four is Dumb and Dumber with Jim Carrey and Jeff. Oh my gosh, what's his name? Jeff. It's going to drive me crazy. I can't think of his last name. Jim Carrey and Jeff. <laughs> um, Dumb and Dumber. Oh my gosh. Where do you go? This movie is like, it, it, it took comedy in a new direction and it opened up like what can be done with comedy and how good it can be done. Sorry, how well it can be done. Um, I don't know. Jim Carrey is just like in his zone here. And I will say sadly that the sequel they made to this, there were two sequels actually. I forget which one's which like dumb, dumb and dumber or, and then there was dumb and dumber two. I can't remember which one was the legit sequel and which one was not. Those were awful. Those were, the typical stupid Hollywood movies you would expect to be called Dumb and Dumber. And like my mom always says, like the title makes you think it's going to be really dumb, but it's actually really witty and hilarious. And I remember the first time I saw it in high school, laughing so hard that I was on the floor rolling from the ver- like the first scene when he falls out the jetway. <laughs> and then he comes home and says, how was your day? Oh, fell off the jetway again. <laughs> Just like all the subtle things all throughout this film, it's just like obviously another cultural landmark that can't be ignored in a list like this because like comedy, you have hit, you have hits and misses. You have ones that are just like overly crass and just try to be really funny by being really either dumb or really uh, vulgar and Dumb and Dumber kind of does neither. Obviously it touches on both of those, but it's, it's just witty and memorable. Um, yeah, so that's number four. Okay, maybe I don't know about the order of some of these, but <laughs> um, the, the last three, I would stand by. The last three, I will stand by them. So another from 1999, Heavy Hitter. Uh, this one revolutionized what can be done in film, in cinema, and the technology you can use to shoot films. Shot by the Wachowski brothers, who are now the Wachowski sisters. I don't really understand that. But The Matrix, at number three. Um, I mean, obviously, Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss. You can't go wrong with this film as a classic. Like, to... to um, you can't overstate the cultural importance of The Matrix. How... It ties in philosophy, um, especially my favorite philosopher, Plato, his ideas of the cave, um, just like the, the idea of a world beyond our own that we can't see and coming out into the exposure of that, um, which again is Plato's cave. But it's like just like the, the entire idea of what, what, what do you see in society and what do you want to accept? And what do you want to believe is true? And the whole the whole monologue that uh, Morpheus gives Neo at the beginning about explaining what the Matrix is and every part of it. And then you have that one character, I forget his name, the bad guy. 
like the trader human, he's eating dinner with the agents and he's like, yeah, I know this is just like amorphous motion proteins, but right now I'm tasting it as steak and that's all I care about. <laughs> it's like you can choose to live in willful, willful, willful ignorance of what reality is and um, where you are in the world and society and reality like he did and end up kind of selling your soul to the, the gods of the machines or you can kind of fight for truth, for reality like Neo did. And there's, there's infinite layers you could peel away from the matrix and um, dive into where it's going philosophically, but also recognizing it as this uh, technological visual behemoth of like what other film did what it did at this time period and shook the water and the world so much um, with what can be done with a film than The Matrix. Um, there are very few, if any, definitely from the 90s. I think The Matrix takes the cake for visually what can be done. Um, yeah, The Matrix. Also, funny story, side note, I showed that clip of Morpheus explaining The Matrix to my middle school class last year when we were talking about um, <laughs> the philosophers. <laughs> and they were terrified. And it's funny because for whatever reason, these kids, their parents let them watch like It and other horror movies. And, and they weren't that scared of those horror movies. But when they saw the, this clip from The Matrix, they freaked out because they were like, how do I know anything is real? How do I know this isn't just a computer simulation? And they were freaking out. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly the point. <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, it's just funny that that philosophy and thinking thoughts bigger than like, oh, maybe I shouldn't just blindly accept what I see before me. That can kind of wake people up more than um, even like a creepy horror movie. But um, anyway... Um, moving on to number two. Um, so obviously if you're paying attention, the matrix would, would be number two for the nineties because number two takes it all the way back to 1975. So number two on this list, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, you just can't beat it. There's just no funnier movie probably ever made. Um, there is no legendary movie than Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Put them on the map. Um, they ran out of money at the end, which is why it ends the way it does. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, watch it and just remember, yeah, they had to stop making this movie because they ran out of money. <laughs> and so the movie just ends. And uh, yeah, everything about it, everything about it. This is, according to like any site you'll ever see, this is the funniest movie that was ever made. Um, it averages one joke every 5.5 seconds, um, whether that's visual humor or something they say or like a background line or um, like random stupid stuff of a lady beating a cat against a wall <laughs> for no reason. Then it just kind of pans over and you see the, the knights. And, and like, oh my gosh. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um yeah, there's there's so much you can say about it, but there's also nothing you need to say about it because it's just legendary. Like there is no movie like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and it is uh, 
comedy genius perfected, I think, in every way. And I have really high respect for all the Monty Python um, uh, films and TV shows and everything that they did. I think it's hilarious almost all the time. Um, like the Flying Circus especially, and now for something completely different, The Life of Brian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could quote Monty Python and the Holy Grail until you're dead. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Um, because these guys are brilliant historians. They're hardcore atheists critiquing religion, but you take that with a grain of salt. And um, they know so much about history and civics and politics, and they bring that into everything that they made. And you can you can tell that they really know what they're talking about, <laughs> which is why to me it's so much funnier. Um, but it's also like stupid humor, some of it. And so it's just, I don't know. You just can't get better than Monty Python, the Holy Grail. It just doesn't miss ever any of the any of the scenes, any of the jokes. <laughs> Every line like is quotable. They probably invented quotable funny movies, which if you think about it, think about everything you quote, um, The Office, whatever, that originates here. Like what movie do you still quote from before Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Um, none, probably. Which brings us to our number one pick, also from 1999, number one movie of the 90s and before, in my opinion, although maybe Monty Python should take number one. I don't know. I don't know. Um, definitely, I think my number one for the 90s is Fight Club. And if you haven't seen it, you're probably like, okay, it's just a bunch of guys fighting. Like, why is that so cool? Um, well, that proves that you haven't seen it because this movie is groundbreaking um, in that it starts off with critiquing modern consumerist culture as well as the modern idea of masculinity and kind of like, uh, what do you say? Like, um, how do you describe Fight Club? It starts off critiquing that um, so many like great lines just ob observing the type of lives that people are living still. I'd say it's still very relevant for people living today just as much as it was in the 90s. This is when mass consumer culture began to become a thing and kind of overtake the capitalist structures of the world. And so he talks about how men have given up masturbating in order to look at Ikea catalogs and fill their apartments with all this stuff, hoping it'll fill their souls. And he says, we have no great wars. We have no great fights. We have no great struggles in our lives. The greatest tragedy of our existence is our lives. And it's just like critiquing this, this guy looking for meaning. And so he starts Fight Club where you fight people, but then it spins madly out of control and becomes um, a search for meaning in bigger and bigger, wilder and wilder ways and becomes something that he never intended. And it kind of asks the questions, um, what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? Is nihilism all the, like, the only hope that we have for our existence? Um, which is kind of <clears throat> where, where it leads. And then uh, I won't give away the, the big twist, or I guess there's a couple of big twists, um, 
one of the bigger twists in cinematic history is in Fight Club. Um, but you have Tyler Durden who appears and kind of offers this like guru like advice of this is how you feel alive. However, feeling alive requires more and more and more. And then there's the destruction of the system. And then there's um, like, what role do I play in this really strange capitalistic system? And like, who really has power? Who's in control of who? And um, their only logical explanation is to destroy the system and start over. And that's Tyler Durden's vision of utopia. And the way that they go about doing that is fascinating. Um, Would it work in reality? No, of course not. But this is the... This is the solution that Fight Club posits when you kind of take nihilism to its logical end. And there's so many, so many poetic lines all throughout, and um, it's quotable, but maybe in a darker type of dark poetic way. <laughs> um, yeah, I love Fight Club. It is also not for the faint of heart. Like, basically, it's a hard R movie. Um, there's some sexuality, it shows a little bit, but there's a lot of references to sex. There's obviously fighting, uh, violence, blood, lots of punching, and um, yeah, just some some gore. Um, obviously a lot of language. Um, it's a pretty hard R-rated movie, whereas The Matrix could be PG-13, basically. This is a hard R. Um, yeah, Fight Club, my number one pick for the 90s. Uh, maybe in before, I don't know. I'm kind of torn about the order of this list. It's generally accurate, I'd say. However, that is enough about that. My top 10 picks of the decade. This was a really fun thing to do. Um, Obviously, I love film. I love everything about it. I think it's one of the perfect forms of art because it can play with every single factor from time to music to audio um, and obviously visuals, shots, shot length. Like you, you, you have all the tools of creativity at your disposal, which is why a film is so diverse and unique. And um, I just love it as an art form. So if you enjoyed these, please let me know. Um, let me know your top 10 lists from whenever, maybe your whole life, if you don't want to do <laughs> by decade. Um, yeah, let me know what you thought of this series and if I should do more uh, film analysis if this was fun or if it bored you to tears and you're like no go back to speaking about biblical covenants that's fine too um, get in touch with me at Ethan Renault on everything um, or Ethan at EthanRenault.com I'd love to hear from you and that is all for now I'll sign it off there and be back soon with a new episode um, yeah Anyway, thanks for listening, you guys. Talk to you later. Bye.